is a very special guest that I am very close with. Um, I worked with her at Plio. She now kind of looks after partnerships at Plio. Ida, I'd love for you to start by sharing a bit more about your story. Yeah, I think that that question is like, oh, where to begin? Um... It's, a, it's a reflection podcast. You got to go <laughs> deep into those emotions. Don't worry, don't worry. That's uh, that's my forte. Um, no, I, I think my journey has actually been making a lot of sense uh, when I reflect back on it. I think while I was on the journey for a lot of the time, it was more like, what the freak am I doing? Where am I heading? And and why am I doing this? Went to uh, to high school, which most people do do here in, uh, in Denmark. And after that, I had a year off. Uh, or I was working, uh, but I was working in sales. Um, and I remember that in the first uh, month or so, I was about to hang myself because I was so bad at it. It was such long hours. I had this uh, American sales coach that was taking me into this little cave, like, Ida, why have you not sold more today? And he was just like constantly challenging me on why, why, why? So it actually was a really, really good coaching uh, experience uh, for my sake. A good coaching experience in that sense that is also where you like kind of uh, tear everything apart and, uh, and and come out stronger. But in order to get there, it's uh, it was a really tough time actually. I think. Can I can I before we continue? This is this gets interesting already. So there's a big topic now: women in sales versus men in sales. You know, coming out of school, why sales for you right off the gun? Because I'm not speaking for everyone, but you know, I I know there is a stigmatism. Like a lot of, especially women that I know, they just don't go into sales. They think it's egotistical. A lot of male dominated, which it is in in essence. But I think there's actually more to that story because I think this was my year after high school. So uh, remember, I'm like 19, 20 years old uh, at this point oh my in time. God. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can't believe that I'm 30 now, uh, by the way, uh, to the people listening to this. And um, just anyone listening, Ida and I share almost one day apart birthdays. And we just both turned 30. Less, uh, wait, Saturday and Sunday. Mm. So, but I don't know when I'm going to release this podcast. So we'll see what, what date it actually gets out there. Mid, Mid-March. But, uh, but that's it. No, but the, the, the reason why I jumped into sales in the first place was also because I thought this, this was like, it, it wasn't a deliberate decision to what I want to spend my time on per se. It was like, okay, um, I think I'll go to university. So what do I want to do before that? I also want to earn some money and I want to have a lot of fun. Okay. Uh, and honestly, back then it was also a very accessible job if you didn't have experience. So I thought, you know, why not give it a go? Um, and during that time, I was also at, at the end thinking, is, is sales something that I want to do and what, what's in it for me and how can I see myself in this in the, in the long run? But a slave to the, to the system that we, we, uh, we are, uh, most of us uh, creatures of, of habit is that we see a lot of people going uh, to, uh, to pursue um, a university degree. So that was the same for me. Uh, I think looking back, I'm not sure I would have gone in exactly that direction. I went to Copenhagen Business School uh, and spent actually six years studying, uh, prolonged some of the studies because I was doing so much other stuff on the side. So I was constantly focused on my volunteer work, uh, which I really, really loved. And I think that's also part of uh, my entrepreneurial journey is that I really love getting together with a bunch of super passionate, intelligent people with an idea and say, okay, we want to do this. How can we do this with just yeah. the resources that we have uh, in our hands? So in, in that regards, getting back to sales was actually something that I didn't discover as a real 
opportunity or a desire until I was actually done uh, with the with the with Copenhagen Business School because I think during university I was more focused on that oh now I need to get like it, now I'm doing quote unquote a, a real job because now I have an mm. academic degree should I pursue a, a very corporate company and I was also actually having this the thing of sales is that just sales again quote unquote where I didn't really actually know how much strategy, psychology, you know, what I can actually put into a sales role, because I would say for me, it wouldn't be interesting selling anything. What I want to sell is I want to sell a a vision. I want to sell some values. I want to sell something that can actually go in and have a real impact on somebody else's life. Ending up in in a fintech setup has maybe been a been a bit random. It wasn't what I was planning from uh, from the get go. I was trying to establish a, a startup uh, with a with, with two people uh, before I joined Plio, but I think we were three people and an idea. Uh, we wanted to uh, to bring forward a, a new way of uh, doing a personality test for for young people, ah. and I think that that really spiked my interest again to that. Okay, Ida, looking back. What have you been succeeding the most with? And when did you have the most fun? And then I actually figured out that it was doing uh, the volunteer work. It was uh, doing that, trying to build a startup. And it was when I was uh, working in sales. Mm. So me, it was like, okay, the next real step for me would be to get into a startup, preferably early stage, uh, and then work in uh, in sales and take it from there. And that's what I've done in uh, in Plio. But then this is interesting because, you know, I've met a lot of people at CBS and there seems to be, there isn't a cult, but there seems to be, you know, you go to CBS, you know, a lot of people are doing things on the side because it seems to be like, you know, the extracurricular is kind of something that you almost have to do to get a job because everyone else is doing it. Volunteering for you, do you think being involved in so many different spectrums of either, I don't know if it was projects or whatever, gave you that perspective? A lot of people that I know from CBS go into like management consulting or there's a, it's quite a proven track. And I guess CBS is designed to kind of harvest those strong kind of profiles. But how do you go against the grain? And I don't know who you surrounded yourself with at CBS, but it sounds like you took a very different journey. Mm. I think there's, again, multiple factors playing into this. Uh, I definitely know a lot of management consultants. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that was also on my radar for, for some uh, some time. Uh, but what I did actually was that I reached out to, um, I'm very proactive. Uh, so I think that's also the reason why uh, I'm in the position I am today, is that if I want something or if I'm curious about something, I'm just going to reach out to people and say, hey, I think you have the knowledge that I want do spare five minutes with me reach uh, out you're gonna like break down the wall you're gonna like completely <laughs> bulldoze your way through I don't, just like censor that one that's true that's true uh but for the management consultant part i actually reached out to people in uh, some of uh, the top consultancies that i th- thought sounded interesting and then i actually got them on the phone uh they, i asked them a lot of questions about what they're doing how the culture is the the work wipes and the, what they gain from uh, having a, a career in management consulting and I would say after interviewing like five people, uh, like mini interviews for my for my own sake, I came to the conclusion that management consulting is uh, is not for me, yeah. uh, especially not in uh, in um, in some of the big corporates where I think it's um it's a self awareness thing as well. Uh, it's not that I think I wouldn't enjoy it. I think I think it would be great fun to a, to a great extent. But I'm also very aware about the fact that. I don't fit in anywhere. And 
I'm completely fine with that, first of all. But I believe that some of my strengths would be um, not well enough appreciated in a in a very um, I would I wouldn't use the word strict, but a more formal setup. Uh, maybe I can put it like that. No, it makes a lot of sense. But let's zoom back for a quick second. Can you know? We, we caught up the other day, but I would love for you to walk me through and for everyone who's listening, I want to walk you, you to walk me through your morning routine, because I think that defines a lot of people. I can't wake up in the mornings. I'll be really honest. I'm, I'm rubbish at it, but because I, I do believe from what you told me that, you know, your, your rituals in the morning kind of define your day, right? That, that is super protective for you and it gives you a lot of energy. So I'd love for you to walk me through that and how that started. Well, I would say now that we're all uh, under lockdown, uh, my morning routine <laughs> is becoming even longer because now I have even more time to to actually uh, to just to, to spend time on uh, on nurturing myself. Now, uh, you and I, Hagen, we had a, a funny conversation about it, which stemmed from the fact that uh, if you could, you'd roll out of bed a quarter to nine. But I would say, for me, a morning routine is uh, extremely important, mainly just because of the fact of having a routine. But yeah. also because I think in the morning that that's where where I'm uh, clearest in my mind, and I also need to feel grounded for for the rest of the day. But it's also important for me to say that I'm not fanatic about it. So meaning that you know if I have mornings where I only get to finish uh, one out of five points, that's completely fine. Or if I need to rush to something, that's also completely fine. And I think that's also what I want to for people to take away is that it's really important to establish good routines and have some anchors in your life, but don't be fanatic about it because, you know, every schedule will always uh, fall apart at some times and that's completely fine. Back to your question about what I do in the mornings. So I like to actually wake up. I bought this amazing wake up that's waking me up by a soft light and a and bird ah. Um so, so actually just having a... Um, a calm wake up instead of having the alarm go off and be like, oof, that has uh, made a huge impact uh, on my mornings. Then I uh, go out, uh, either make like a tea or coffee, whatever I feel like. Then I do my meditation. Uh, I do that as a guided meditation, meaning that uh, I have headphones on. And then I need to be uh, physically active uh, before uh, I start my work day. So either going to the gym going for a, for a run here or doing some uh, some workouts at home can actually also do it and then last i uh, of course besides this i shower and eat but uh, that's more of a really a you actually shower and eat at some point no okay. <laughs> i was about to say that no, that's that's a big surprise uh but then i uh, read uh so i always have a few books on my nightstand um i actually prefer to juggle two three books at the same time uh, just so when you're a bit cool. bored you can pick up something else. And then I have some books that's good for mornings and then some books that's good for night, in my opinion. Uh, but I read every morning. Some mornings is literally one page and other mornings it's uh, it's 20 minutes. Again, depending on, uh, on the schedule. Cool. Okay, let's fast forward then. Now it gets, now again, sisters, now you, you and my world collide at Plio. I remember when you came in and you were just like this huge ball of energy. So like, you know, where does that come from? And personally, knowing you as a good friend, you know, your 
where I see you as an employee evangelist is because like you've said before, you kind of just, when you go after something, you own it and you like to carve it into something. And, you know, you don't, you don't really take no for an answer, but you just, you know, you really, I've never, I've seen very few people give it as much energy and, and intensity as you can. And I think you and I both have been, you know, on the losing end sometimes when we overdo it and we burn out. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure we could talk about that for hours. Where did that come from? Mm. Yeah, it's actually a question I'm asking myself quite often, to be honest, especially now that I'm also working as a manager. It's a question I ask myself because I'm curious about the fact that I feel this extreme inner fire. It's actually hard to describe. It just feels like this itch and I can't help it. And I'm curious, can I spike that in other people as well? Or how does this actually feel for other people? You know, what mm. does a drive feel feel like? And is it um, the same for you as it is for me, for instance? I don't know. But I think I've always had this crazy energy. I think if I want something, I'm definitely going to get it. Uh, and if I experience, yeah, I wouldn't say failure, but if I experience that I'm having going through a, a rough patch, for instance, or if things are not really working out the way that I wanted to, that just fuels my fire even more, uh, meaning that I thrive uh, being in a success and when things are uphill. Uh, but but when things are when the odds are against me, I just get this inner feeling of I need to get through this. So I think a lot of it is actually just also related to my personality that I'm extremely outgoing, uh, extremely curious. Um, and I think if you're very, very curious about something, you, you'll dig until you figure out what this is about. Um, and I think for me, for example, in a setting like, like Pleo, I've, I think I've just been granted all the, the, the right, uh, can I say, surroundings that just fostered that I could be extremely curious about myself as a salesperson. What can I uh, do with this? Starting the, uh, the partner channel, you know, could, can I take this from a, from a, just a list on my uh, Excel sheet to actually like a, a bulletproof concept, you know, ha actually being on a mission where I feel like I can use every fiber in my body to see if this can work. That, 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 that it, it just does something to, to my energy. But I also do believe that a lot of this comes down to the mindset that I've developed, uh, especially over the maybe last five years. I've always been interested in uh, psychology. I actually want to be like a therapist when I was a, a child. Oh um, Edith, the therapist, that would be a, that would be intense sessions. That would be some intense sessions. That's for sure. Uh, but, but no, my point is that I, I really truly and utterly believe that my thoughts dictate everything around me. So meaning oh. that if I have a positive mindset, I'll become even more positive. Uh, and if I believe in something and if I am determined that this will be a success, it will be a success. Not meaning that I don't doubt myself. Uh, I do that almost every day, but I'm not letting those doubts and negative thoughts um, take over. So at the end of the day, I always fall asleep knowing that, you know, it's all about how I perceive things. Again, for me, it's like a problem is not really about the problem. It's about how I think about the problem, you know? And, and I truly believe that if you actually know that you are capable of setting the direction for your whole life and the way you work and everything around you, you become way more motivated and driven because you know that you're in charge. So the yeah. thing that I'm doing is actually the thing that's going to make a difference.
I'm not waiting for you or for someone else to give me an opportunity because I know that if I want something, it's solely up to me. But where do you place the balance between, you know, like the typical like work-life balance? You know, personally, you know, when I love what I do, you just over-invest into it because it's just part of the work-life. I don't really distinguish very well. And on a personal level in my personal life, definitely there's been sacrifices, but it hasn't been perceived personally as a sacrifice. It's just the way it is. How, how do you balance that? And, and do you need to? And because you get a lot of energy, like for, I mean, I get a lot of energy from my work, right? And that's why I like to do it. And that's why I remember when you, me and ML, especially in the early days, we would work insane hours. It was insane, but we didn't do it for the pay. We did it because it was like a mission. And it was like this mini cult that we had. And it just felt great to work with amazing people, right? And that would be, I got a lot of energy off of that. But like, what about you? Like is, where do you find that balance? Oh, yeah, that, that's, a, that's a good question. I think in the last year, actually, is that that's where I found the balance. So yeah, as, as you also know, how can I face a burnout uh, at the end of what's that, 2018, which actually caused me to not be able to work for like uh, two, three months, which was yeah. like the most brutal time of my life. It was brutal, man. Uh, I, rem- I was really upset about that. I remember it was, it was intense. Yeah. And, and I think I, I didn't know how to balance it. You know, I, I couldn't. Uh, and I remember people around me also saying that, honestly, you're becoming a bit boring because the only thing that's on your mind is, uh, is Cleo and uh, your, your colleagues. Um, and I think I did, just didn't really listen to uh, things around me. I didn't listen to my body, that's for sure. Um, so at one point, my body uh, made me listen. And I think... It's been a blessing in disguise, uh, meaning that I think I've come out so much stronger, uh, so much more focused, uh, so much clearer on why am I actually doing this and why am I doing this, but also how I'm doing this. Uh, because I think the, the, the why has been been there and it's the same as before, but I want to do what I do in, in Plio or in the other projects that I am also like to uh, embark on it from time to time. I want to do it while taking care of myself. And I think that that's what I figured out is that I actually want to be someone where I can say to myself, I'm living the, uh, my, my best life. Uh, of course, that's uh, very subjective. But, but for me, that means that I have a thriving career. I'm uh, doing what I love on a daily basis. But it also means that I have uh, time for my personal relationships, my friends and my family. It also means that I prioritize my workouts, it pri- prioritize my morning routine, prioritize reading and uh, being in nature, which I love. Uh, and I think that that was my issue be- before like, when I faced the burnout is that I compromised. I uh, skipped the workouts, yeah. I was skipping the nature, I was skipping my friends and family. And that meant that then I didn't have the capacity to pull through so much at, at work because I wasn't fulfilled, I think. I see it as maybe like a water glass. So I was, I was only, you know, pouring water out of the glass. I wasn't p- putting things into it anymore. So I truly believe that you can work 70 hours um, a week and still uh, ma- maintain a clear mind and not face a burnout if you also remember to prioritize what's important to you. And that's, of course, up to the individual to figure out. No, it's, it, it touches on a, a really, I mean, I burned out twice, M- maybe not as harsh as you did, but um. The interesting part for me was when I did it at Clio, 
my values, what I thought was important to me was also kind of a reflection of the values of what I believed Plio was, because we had those pillars and I just believed it. And work didn't feel like work. You mentioned like, you know, we would like, I mentioned this in another podcast as well, you would leave work and you just couldn't stop talking about work because it was just fascinating. It was just, there was this weird, like, I just can't stop thinking about it because there's so much potential here and it's super exciting. And then, you know, when I decided to leave and, and, and at those two months when I left, you know, it was like almost maybe like your moment to like chill for a second and reflect. And I think I realized there what's important to me. What will I not sacrifice on? How do I make decisions? And I think those are the three things that were difficult to like see when I was in tunnel vision, but it's no one's fault. I loved it. So it was my choice. But like now, for example, like in financial independence, making money is like a means to an end. It's like, I want to use that to do something else with it. Like adventure, traveling. I love that, but also like building something. So with this podcast and a few other projects, you know, I'm putting that for me first. And, you know, I'm exploring going back into a bit of work again, but that's more like a secondary that complements the primary. And I don't know if you have to be in a certain position, maybe you've worked for a few years, so you've gained expertise in a specific field so you can execute on it. But I like that dynamic where I think the strongest potential employee evangelists are people that choose to work somewhere by association because they love the vision, the mission, it resonates. Like I can add and I get back. But then it doesn't compromise on like, but I'm building something else that's also important to me. And that's my long term. You know, this is a short term. You know, you're renting me as an employee because I can deliver value and I, I love being here. But the second it doesn't agree with me anymore, it's okay. I'll walk away. It's, it's not like a negative or a positive. And, and that's more realization for me is, is association because you want to. And I think when you're deep in it, when you are relying on like one income stream and when you don't diversify your income streams, it's much more difficult to walk away. And it's also, it's like a family like we had at Plio, but that changes as you become a larger company, right? And it needs to, I think I've mentioned it several times on this podcast, it needs to evolve or else the company can never grow at scale. And it's just lots of things to think, but it's like, don't ever compromise on you and like always invest in yourself. And that's a really hard one personally, and I'm still struggling. And I think it's a never ending journey, to be honest. Uh, I don't feel I've nailed it at all, uh, but that's also because I'm very aware that, you know, my priorities is probably not the same in five years, meaning that then I need to do something else or make other compromises or figure out what's, uh, what's the thing that I can't compromise on, for instance. And I, th and I think that's also just important to remember. And I think that's also sometimes just a thing that can give you that slack is like saying to yourself that things are always changing. And that's the beauty of it, you know? Yeah. So, so don't try. And, and that's also why it was so important for me to emphasize the fact about my, my morning routine is that not, it's not something that I'm fanatic about. It's something I treasure and it's something that I really want to prioritize and I do. But it should never be something where it becomes a negative if I didn't do it or, you know, oh, now I'm beating myself up for and I didn't see my, I, I didn't have a, uh, enough time tonight to see my friends which actually I know I want to and you know that's also part yeah. of my scope so I think I think we can stress ourselves so much by putting up all these things that we want to do or we should do to be like a wholesome person but I think stressing over the fact that you, you you're not doing something or you should be doing something is actually worse than saying okay tonight I'm just saying fuck it I'm gonna watch Netflix all night and not go to that event not see my family you know I think that's uh, that, that's at least what I've learned is that not to beat myself up about all the things that's not uh, playing out in the, the way that I thought it would be. 
Yeah. So maybe one more question. So going back a bit, um, you remember you said you had that, that manager in sales that was quite good at kind of pushing you and asking you why, why, why? Mm-hmm. Have you ever had a great manager? And, you know, this is a question I've asked everybody on the show. Mm. I've definitely had a lot of people around me that I found great inspiration in. I would say, as you know, being a, working in a, in a startup, like, like we have, uh, especially in the, the early days, it's not like you have that manager relationship because you're just a team and then you're figuring it out. And then along the way, uh, somebody becomes the manager uh, and then we take it from there. But I think some of the the most inspiring people has actually been more, how do you say that, people on my own level, meaning that my peers. I, I think you've been a, a great inspiration for me to like, again, just, you can do this, you know, don't give a shit about what other people think. Let's try, give it a go. Very uh, inspired also by Mary Louise that you mentioned in terms of uh, the structure and, and how valuable it is to make sure that you have a good structure around you. Because my natural force is like the energy, is the drive, is the, the doer. I'm the executor. So if, if you say, let's go over here, I'm just like, okay, I'm running. But my weakness uh, can be that I, I'm not really good at always documenting the things that I do or, or putting things into like a, a good structure, meaning that it can be hard for me actually to um, help sometimes others, which is my main job now to replicate some of the stuff or at least get inspired by it because I, I'm executing and then I'm, I'm uh, you know, onto the next thing. You know, I'm not really the one sitting and, uh, and making a, a, a documentation about the steps that I took, what worked, what didn't work. I'm a gut feeling uh, person, but I've been very inspired about people around me to take in more structure and hands down being more structures, uh, being more stru- structured, blah, blah, <laughs> which I focused on in the last couple of years uh, has just enhanced my work immensely. Yeah. And I actually mentioned it on a previous podcast, maybe it was Tans, I don't remember, but um, I think between you, me and ML, what I, what I loved in the early days is we both knew each other's strengths and weaknesses. So we could play off that. So like, for example, we would know, I know exactly where I can push Ida on things and I know exactly where she won't want to do this. And, and then it was vice versa. So I remember that trio was very strong. And then I even remember a scenario. It's just popped into my head. I remember a few years ago, you, me and Martina, we sat in that glass room in uh, founder's office. And then we wanted to execute a plan for Christmas presents for the Plio customers. And we had like a list of a hundred and we were like, what could we do? And then we, we bought Finkelhorns, right? And I remember, I remember so, but I remember we sat in this meeting room. It was you, me, and Martina. And Martina's much more structured. And you and me were like, boom, 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 boom. But we like devised a plan. We assigned who was going to execute. And like the next day, it was all like bang, bang, bang. And then within like three days, everything was ordered. The boxes were on the way. And then everything was done. And that was like the, the epitome of like knowing who you surround yourself with, knowing who you can depend on for certain things. And like, you know, when those handovers happen, like, okay, Ida has that task. You're like a hundred percent comfortable. I know it's going to do a good job. I don't have to worry. It's off my plate. It's gone. Like, I know it's going to, like, Ida's going to deliver X. I think when you can develop that dynamic in a working culture, I think that's amazing. But Mm. sustaining it is difficult as you grow. Mm. And I I think you're so right. And I think you're actually touching upon something that's also interesting uh, for me as a person, because I had, I, w- I would say in school, especially in the younger, uh, younger days. <laughs> God, young Ida. Don't even want to know. Young Ida, childish Ida. Um, I'm still young though, but uh, no, to be, uh, to be <laughs> a bit more serious, 
I remember I was a very I was a perfectionist like really? and I still am to to the degree today that I want to deliver the best results you know I want to be 100% of my targets when I was a salesperson now I want to have the best team in 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 the whole world you know I want to do I want to have extraordinary results that's uh, that's for sure uh, but I think back uh, when I was uh, I was younger I ended up seeing uh, having this perfectionist uh, out of view on things that actually made me end up taking uh, you know uh, soul charge of things that I'd be like okay if I want a, a best results I'm doing this on my own you know ah you know I'm not really satisfied with the group work here so ah, I'm gonna rewrite this or oh don't bother you don't have to do this uh, I can do it you know meaning that in group settings I thought that okay I was actually being good uh, again quote unquote because I was taking on the, the a big workload often or willing to but what I reflect on back now is that 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 that's not feasible especially not in the in a working culture because first of all nobody wants to surround themselves with a person who's like oh I'm doing this because they know that it's because I probably doubting their skill sets sure. or competencies to finish the, the job and I don't want to be that person first of all but also because I've, I'm, I'm self-aware, so I know I'm not the best at everything. I'm, I'm, I'm the best at some things for sure, but I'm definitely not the best at everything. So if I was now having the same approach that it's only going to be good if it's done by me, I would be a huge uh, failure. And I would definitely not be where I'm at today. So it's definitely about surrounding yourself with the, with yeah. the right people. Yeah. You know, I want you to listen to the podcast I've done with Hans, because Hans had a little section on it with you. And um, I, I remember, and he, he spoke about like when you hired him into that team, you know, Hans came with a lot of experience on that side of doing those types of sales. And I know that we, you know, you and me, when we both started managing quite early on, like those, that BDR team and so that, we had no clue what we were doing, but, you know, working it out. But what I loved about what Hans said about you was like, you acknowledged the, hey, look, I'm not the expert. You know, you actually probably know way more than me, but like, how can I work with you? So like, you know, I know that you're better than me in this, but you know, I'm better in different areas, but you're probably better on X, Y, Z. How can we work together to fuel that, to like get that into the team, right? And I know ML and I are super aligned on this when we were hiring and I'm, I'm very confident in you. It's like, I love the idea of managers or just leadership that always strives to hire better than themselves. This, this constant fear, like I want to protect my job and I've never, I, I've never felt it and I've never, and you know, by default you almost make yourself redundant but that's an amazing position to be in because then you can like i'm going to learn something new and i can progress somewhere else in the company but i don't know how many people really take that position and you know you do start defending your role and i get it but it felt like that's kind of like where you were and and, and now that you're running a new team with partnerships how do you hire like what's your process now it's, it's definitely the, the same that i want to hire people that's uh better than me uh, or at least people that I see have the potential to become better than me so uh, I can I can coach them into something but also knowing that they have some ingredients that no matter how good of a manager I would be I, that's not able to create you know some people just have you know some I would call some x factor and I think that's that, that's really really beautiful but but I'm totally aligned I, I think my my I think it, I, I would be the I would feel like such a huge success if I could uh, stand at some point and have like a full team of, uh, of amazing people that I, I truly hand on heart feel are 100% better than I am. And I'm not afraid of being redundant because I truly believe that if I could produce a team that's way better than me, I am 
doing such a good job that that's a really valuable skill that also needs to be done again and again in different settings. And again, it's also so much more, uh, it's, it's, it's also keeping me on my toes to bring in people that are smarter than me, meaning that I think it, it's a lot about context. So I think a lot of the startup scene, I think everyone's aligned that we want the best employees and that might be someone who's smarter than you, which is a great thing. So I think it's more if you're, if you're in a context where fear is a, a dominant way of leading or you've, you've, you have a, your own manager is definitely talking a lot about, you know, prestige within the company or how long have you been there and X, Y, Z. So if it becomes these hygiene factors, as I call it, then I would see you could be a, a potential manager that would be afraid of hiring people that are smarter than you because you have a feeling from the hierarchy that top management doesn't want to be challenged. Ergo, you will not hire people that will challenge you. But I think in the setting that we are in where everybody's actually wanting to be challenged and wanting to come up with new ways of working, it's a no-brainer that we should, of course, have people in that's uh, smarter than us. Yeah, and it, it's a message that I would love to get more out there. I, I, don't, I don't know. I, I can't speak from a position where I do know, but I just from stories that I hear from horror stories, like people that are so good and they just, they get pushed out because they're like, you know, screw this. Like, you're not fighting for my back. You're not, you're not allowing me to kind of push the results because you're trying, you're making me follow a process that is just, was designed by someone so long ago who was so out of touch with the front line and how it's, how things are evolving. And I don't know, it's an interesting one. Let's flip this up. Let's flip this up. Random, random, random. You, do you have a question for me? Let's, 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 if you, what's like a random question that you've always wanted to ask me about, even even about this project that I'm working on with the podcast or anything else. Yeah, I think I'd actually like to 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 fire back the one about the that that inner drive. So, what, why do you think you are such a driven person? You know, I, I think on one of the other podcasts we we spoke about boarding school. So this is a weird one for me, right? So I went to boarding school when I was 14. I left from the Caribbean. And it was all because of Harry Potter, because I, I wanted to go to Hogwarts. I, I kid you not. Like, I kid you oh not. my God, me too. I was so yeah, yeah. sad. I really oh, realized cool. that I couldn't go to Hogwarts. <laughs> I, I fell in love with the beautiful story and I really wanted to go to school in England and get a wand. Like, I'm not even kidding you. It was a bit of an inside joke for them. But then when I went to boarding school, it was a very like a wake up call. Like, you know, you're on your damn own. Like, you know, your family's not there to support you directly. Of course they're there, like a call away. But, you know, I loved and I quite quickly realized that I just love this independence and inner, you just need to make things function or else, you know, you can, you can come home from school and cry in your bed because you're missing your family and you're scared and you have nothing. But, and I definitely did that in the first few weeks. I'm not gonna even pretend, right? But then I just realized that by doing that, nothing's changing. And then I think through boarding school, I just became super independent and I became super selfish, to be honest. I just focused on building myself and, and protecting myself to, to build. And I became like senior prefect. I was going for head of school. Like I became a super A-lister. Right? I just wanted it all. And then when I went into the world of work after I did my studies, um, I think I quite quickly, when I, when I was in my last um, year of uni in Edinburgh, my parents were like, you're such an introvert, go and do tour guiding. I remember this so well, because my mom was like, go make some money to pay for your beers. You know, standard, you know, supply and demand. And I learned to tour guide and I goddamn loved it. I learned to public speak. It was horrible. I remember my first 10 tours were so shit. Like I was scared. I was speaking in front of 30 people. It was a free tour. But then I learned this thing where like, you know, I, 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 I liked improv. So I just loved speaking dynamics and... I got a lot of energy out of that. And I think 
sales happened for me by accident, like maybe like maybe like you, because I was a scientist, right? I studied pharmaceuticals and then I jumped into sales because of an entrepreneur who was launching a startup and he needed some help while I was at UCL and I thought this is cool. And then I just liked the idea where you can combine things. Like I was combining a bit of my analytical stuff from science, my personality from the tour guiding, and then, you know, getting a cool product out there. And that was a perfect storm for me. And that's where I got it from. But then I also realized when I'm with a shit team that I don't like, I don't get energy. It is about who you work with. And right now, this whole employee evangelist podcast is like, I just, from Clio, I've been infected with this vision. Like employees are not being put really first people are saying they are but it's not true like there are amazing people in companies that nobody knows anything about and not to highlight them as superstars or you know influencers but just to highlight them as people who if more people met them they would have an impact on people's lives and there is something special in that dna pool and again it's not because someone is successful or not it's more about they just love what they do and there's something special about that when you stack it against like mental health. Why are people going to work unhappy? But maybe they're making a great salary, but, and maybe they have commitments. They have a family mortgage to thing to pay. You can't just make things happen all the time. But I just admire people who I understand like building something for themselves while adding value to everything around them. It's this selfless, selfish approach. And I, I, I'm really interested in that. And that's what gives me energy now. That's the first time I've been asked that question. It was a good answer. This has been super cool. I love talking to you about this kind of stuff. Anyone who doesn't know Ida, I'm sure anyone in Copenhagen listening to this will probably definitely know her. But, you know, I have the hugest amount of respect for her. I've had the honor of working with her and I would definitely work with her again. Um, but it is the energy and it's just, you know, knowing where everyone stands. Um, and I honestly can't wait to see where you end up anywhere in the future regardless. Likewise, my friend. It was a pleasure being on here. And uh, as you mentioned, we could talk about this uh, forever. Tune in <laughs> but, for the next uh, episode now. That, that, that's true. Uh, but no, I, I think it's it's a topic that's, that's dear to my heart. So if anybody want to reach out and, uh, and have a chat about it, uh, always feel free. Cool. Thanks, Ida. Yeah.